you doing? I'm well, Lee. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks, mate. Doing good. It's good to uh, see you. Uh, how are things in Yorkshire? Yeah, it's been brilliant. Actually, yesterday was like uh, it was like the Southern Cape of South Africa. It was absolutely beautiful, and I found myself on the top of some hills, looking into the valleys, thinking, "This really is. This is truly beautiful." Um, so yeah, we're in a good good place in Yorkshire just at the moment. That was the first day of summer, and it was September the eighth. <laughs> Oh, so wow. yeah, we've we, we waited a while, but it was beautiful. Yeah, nice and beautiful day here in Sydney too. So well, thanks for joining us. We've got about half an hour, I think. The, the theme of the conversation I wanted to have with you is leading from the middle. You know, there's yeah. people that we often deal with and maybe they're sitting between exec level and middle management, maybe that kind of that layer there. Pull yeah. from pillar to post, lots of different competing priorities and and things to be thinking about. So I thought we'd just explore some of the challenges that you've seen people in that position face and just see where we see where the conversation leads us. Yeah, no, great, a good, good conversation. I think to an extent, everybody is leading for the middle, depending on which context you you place it in. If you're a CEO, you're dealing with a board. If you're a yeah, we both know as consultants, you're dealing with multiple stakeholders. So whether or not you're in a hierarchy where the middle is appropriately where you are, we're all leading from the middle in one way or another because we're dealing with complex complex groups of people who have an interest. Yeah. One of the areas that I thought we'd spend a bit of time on is um, the tough conversations, challenging conversations, the variety of challenging conversations that we might need to have, whether that's upwards to you know manage priorities say no maybe um whether it's downwards around performance expectations maybe it's external customer conversations around i don't know fee structures or um challenges that are happening in customer relationships all that stuff so what you know what comes to mind to you when i throw that on the table tough conversations what are we thinking about uh, look, I think um, for me, the, the the biggest challenge with leaders is being reactive and creating an environment where we are having a difficult conversation because we're reacting to something. Um, and the world we live in is one of constant day-to-day -day demands and the task takes priority over the relationship. So the first thing that springs to mind is, and it's really, it comes, I think, from martial arts, if you don't want to have a fight, don't put yourself in a situation where a fight is inevitable. Um, so how do we apply that in the real world? So if we take conversations that you and I might have if I'd never met you before, um, who are you, who am I, who are we together, is a conversation where we can start to build a little bit of trust quite quickly, I think, the conversation that people don't have. So I know what your interests are. I know where you're trying to go uh, in life if I've asked the right questions and then when it comes to the difficult conversation it's not me being right and controlling you it's me having a strongly held view that there might be something that I need to put on the table that's in your interest not just in mine um, so if we've created that little bit of uh, relationship between us then those conversations may be not as difficult they'll still be difficult but they won't be charged with the emotion that makes that conversation not difficult just makes it impossible to hear nice so great start um 
avoid getting into a position where you have to have one in the first place by being proactive about a number of different things. So, you know, one of those, what you described there is taking, taking some time to invest in the relationship, build some trust, build some understanding. And if you've done that up front, you're not just launching into task mode straight away, then the chances are uh, that you get into a tough conversation are A, going to be lower because you'll be talking about things more freely. Uh, and B, even if you do, it's going to be, it's going to go better. And I, th- yeah. I can think of a number of circumstances where inaction increases the probability of having, having to have a tough conversation, right? When you think about performance conversations, you know, often I'm in coaching conversations with leaders and they, they've got a got to a stage where with someone where they've now got to have a really strong performance conversation and you know, many times there are things that could have happened before to prevent that from from getting to that stage right yeah yeah so i finish off with that because you've just you've just triggered a real thought but i'm conscious you haven't finished what you you're saying there but uh, remind me to come back in on something by sam harris that i've just read i'm gonna go for it now tell me what's what you read from sam harris well, look, the, the, the book is called Lying, and it's become a little bit of a thought point for me at the moment. And there's a quote from it. I'm not going to quote directly, but it says something along the lines of every time you lie, you remove the autonomy from the person to whom you have lied. Why has that just been triggered by your thought about difficult performance conversations? So if I managed by you and you're not honest with me in a consistent way you are effectively not telling me the truth about what's going on um in doing that you remove my autonomy um let me try and give you a really simple example of what i mean actually it's not a simple example but it is a powerful example i think so my daughter was in the house when something was being delivered during lockdown. And what was being delivered was very heavy. And she couldn't get the um, the stuff up the stairs into the house on her own. And the guys were not allowed to deliver it. So she very quick, I was out you know, doing exercise. And she very quickly said to these guys, well, my dad is a very old man and he's, and he's sick upstairs <laughs> and he can't help. So she went for the sympathy card. And essentially it wasn't true. But it worked. So, you know, she got a great outcome and probably was okay with herself. But what I said to her was, as soon as I heard that story, I thought, well, if she can lie that readily about that, then what else can she lie about so readily? So Sam Harris's point is even a white lie that may have a good outcome probably reduces my ability to think about her in the same way which is really interesting. So if we go back into your idea of you managing my performance and not telling me the truth about myself, but at some point you actually do, then I'm in some way disempowered by that. And I'm certainly going to think less of you for that. So how can we create a world where we don't end up having a difficult conversation that could have been much less difficult if we'd started to have it when we started to have the feelings? Um, can I drill in a bit on uh, the the statement about taking away my autonomy? So let's play through an example, right? Let's say I'm reporting to you, and yeah. I'm I'm lacking in some area that I need to be performing better in, whatever that is, right? 
And you're, you talk to me about how you, you know, a lot of leaders might kind of let that slide or let it build up or and, and not have the courage to have the conversation early, which I yeah. think in your example, you suggest then is a form of a white lie because you're not telling me the full truth. How's that? Yeah, that's it. yeah. How's that affecting my autonomy? Yeah, so at some point, I'm going to tell you the truth or not. Um, if I don't tell you the truth and you carry on performing in the way that you're performing and then you don't get promoted, then that is removing some autonomy that's obvious. But you might not. It's obvious to me, but it may not be obvious to you. So if we go wind back in the conversation to proactive, I've had that conversation with you. I know what you want. I know where you're heading. Um which maybe I'm happy in my current job, or it may be I want to be a, a great leader of a great leader in the future. I may want to change my position, whatever. Um, then I see behavior that is contributing to your ambition. And I have the conversation to say, that's great. The example I just saw Lee, of where you were giving feedback to that individual is exactly what a person who aspires to be what you aspire to be would be doing, carry on. Um, so in saying that and giving you that positive reinforcement, you're more likely to do it again. I then see an example which is not contributing to that. And I don't take the opportunity to say to you, Hayley, what I just saw was um, an example where the impact was this um, and gave you the opportunity to change that behaviour in line with your interests and mine and the organisation for whom we both work. Then if I don't take that opportunity, then I'm not empowering you. You are carrying on doing something which is not in your interest not yeah. in, China, in the wider world you've deprived me of a choice yes um but if we've got that capital we can have that conversation quite easily and you'll say thank you very much rob i can see that was a hard thing for you to say um but i can receive that because it's going to do me good i am empowered so nice. the point yeah. of the sadness thing that i've had to think about is big lies are likely to come home and haunt you at some point anyway but even little lies reduce the confidence uh, in the person who is being little lied to if it becomes clear that that's the case. Um, My mind's racing around. There's lots of different ways we can go. I, I want to come back later to if we played that, that through a little further, a, a relationship where the, the full truth hasn't been told and things have been glossed over or ignored and so on. And I find myself in a position where the, the, the big, the, the multiple white lies are coming back to haunt me and I've now got to fire this person or I've now got to tell them that they're not getting this pay uplift or promotion or whatever it is because, and they're expecting it because they don't know any different, right? They, they think yeah. they've done a great job. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. I want to catch the thread. Um, oh, that was it. So I was talk I was in a conversation yesterday with a group about, and we've talked about it before, but I wonder if it's worth exploring with this Sam Harris idea that you put on the table here. Um, the transparency. So when you're in a leadership position, one of the competing ethical dilemmas, if you like, is when I'm party to some knowledge about, I don't know, a restructure or some business decision that has been made but not yet communicated. Um, so I know, but I'm not in a position that I can tell 
anyone about that yet. And sometimes I've, I've met people like, oh, that can go on for a decent chunk of time. Yeah, It's not just, you know, a couple of hours or a couple of days. It can go on for weeks, sometimes months to be in that position. Yeah. Um, any links to what you've been reading in, in that example? Yeah, no, no, don't, yeah, there, there are lot, lots of links, I think. So one of the great things that Sam does is say, these are the difficult questions you're going to get asked, like if it's about a healthcare issue, do you tell somebody the truth or do you not tell somebody the truth? So how can you say something where you're not actually lying? So there's no point in saying to somebody who's really sick, you're going into hospital um, and everything's going to be fine. People do it all the time, I think, but there's no point in saying that because it's not true. Um, and it devalues the conversation, doesn't it? So what might you say in those circumstances? You might say, well, you're going to go in there, you're going to receive the best care, um, if it's true. And, uh, and people do come through this, also true. But you're not painting a picture which is not true. So in yep. the example that you outline, quite often people just don't say anything um, because they feel they can't say anything. So for me, it's much better to say, look, um, I can I, I I can tell you that it is, but I can't tell you what it is. As soon as I can tell you what it is, then I will. So what we're doing there, I think, is managing uncertainty without lying about the uncertainty. And a typical one would be we're in a acquisition situation for legal reasons we can't tell you, but nobody's going to be made redundant. And well, clearly that's not necessarily true. Yeah. So I don't know whether people are going to be made redundant or not. There's a possibility that they are. And as soon as I know more, I'll tell you. So we're what, what are people frightened of? I think people are frightened of uncertainty. We know from the neuroscience that uncertainty causes, causes real problems. Um, and if the only uncertainty is uncertainty, then that's what we should say. <laughs> and then people become at least secure in their insecurity if that's not too many contradictions. Another I think for the thing that you've already talked about there in terms of what induces stress and anxiety in people is lack of autonomy and you've, you've already mentioned that, that you take away my autonomy if you tell me white lies or, or you tell me things that yeah you, you try and gloss over things yeah have you ever been in a situation like that where you've had a really difficult um decision that's been made or knowledge of something where you were conflicted. Yeah, I mean, often I think um, minor examples and, and major examples and handled badly. So let me give you examples and, and I think you, you should share yours too, but bad examples that have cost a lot, both financially and psychologically. Um, so examples of where you know that somebody isn't working out in your business and you have not addressed that. So if I think of a couple of examples where at the end of the day, the business has ended up, my business has ended up losing people. And I have allowed things to continue for whatever reason, fear normally, I think fear is such a big thing. So fear of survival, fear of, um, fear of appearing inferior. Um, there are lots of fears that play on our mind, fear of uncertainty. So in this particular instance, we had somebody who culturally wasn't really fitting into the business, but I had got a few reasons why I was scared to address this. Um, 
So I didn't. So what happened at the end of the day was we had a reasonably explosive conversation, which was not well managed. And I think about how that could have been done differently. So I could earlier on in the conversation have said, look, I understand what your ambitions are, which I did, but it's not really working out at the moment for various reasons. Here are the examples of that. But that conversation didn't really happen. Um, yeah. Uh, and as I say, there are a number of reasons why it didn't, but I'm not going to excuse it because I could have done it had I been brave enough. Why was I not brave enough to do that? I guess I was intimidated a little bit in this instance by a person who was probably brighter than me. So I didn't feel I perceived brighter than me in some respects. So I perceived that I might in some way appear inferior and lose my way in the conversation. And hey, we study this thing the whole time. So if I'm feeling that, and we study it, we practice it, we teach people how to do it. If I'm feeling that, then it's a, it's a powerful thing. Um, so I go back to how can I create my own security to the extent that I can have those conversations rather than conceptually understanding it, actually do it. Because yeah. not doing it resulted in an emotional hijack which caused a, an unnecessary amount of damage to me, to the person involved, to the business, to the bank account. Um, so rewinding all of that says I've got to look after myself to the point where I've created the relationship, I understand the interests, I am in a fit state of mind to have that conversation and I've got the practice behind me that enables me to do it regardless of the circumstances. So almost everything we've said I have not done. Such an interesting example. And, you know, what I'm hearing in that, the irony of it, of that story is that we avoid these kinds of conversations because we don't want to feel the discomfort, the emotional discomfort. And yet avoiding them amplifies the emotional discomfort at a later stage, right? You don't get away from it by avoiding it. You don't get away from that emotional discomfort. Yeah. So... um... So what was it Warren Buffett said that I just had a conversation with somebody else about and he quoted Buffett and said, you don't learn from experience, you gain experience from which you can then learn. <laughs> and I think well, uh, most of us in our history have probably got an experience like that. Um, and I've gained from that experience and learned from it. So fast forward to the more modern world where with a client I might sit down on the first day and say what are your expectations what are my expectations what are we both trying to achieve here I'm going to tell you a bit about me I've had these experiences before if this happens this is the way I'm likely to behave and I'm working on this what are you working on so you're really accelerating the pace that difficult conversations can can happen and even if they do get explosive at least you can go back to that solid platform um, of gained experience from which you have learned and upon which you can then build. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm sure you've got examples in your history that are full of learning. Look, there's, there's one that comes to mind many years ago, um, leading a team when I was still in the IT industry. Uh, and I got a, a, a mistake probably of a, of a different nature to this one, but this is a, a story about one that went surprisingly well, but I uh, wrestled with for, for a little while. So I'd been trying to employ somebody for probably 12 months, trying to get the right fit into the team, met 
this guy had the stuff on the CV, great personality, great attitude, thought this, you know, this is going to be a great fit, came in. And within the first couple of months of a three-month probationary period, it was clear to me that he wasn't going to be able to do the job effectively. But really good bloke, good attitude, all of this kind of stuff, but just not at the, the skill level necessary. And it was going to take too much for us to get in there, right? It wasn't something that I could have, you know, I'd often, I'd, I'd say, I'd recommend to hire people for attitude, right? And, and you can work with the rest. But in this case, there was too much going on. I, I didn't have that time to invest in, the, in upping the skill level. And I remember going to my boss at the time, coming up to his probationary period and having a conversation about, are we going to keep him or not? And I, uh, I had wrestled with it and, and decided not. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but I, after this event, after this conversation, it turned out that I, I was the first person ever in that department not to, to, to say no to someone at the end of their probationary period, right? I had no yeah. idea at the time. So I got a bit of a reputation for this um, in my mid-30s. And uh, so, but I sat down with this guy and I'd, we had a good relationship and it's very similar to, to the conversation, you know, this is what you wanted from this job. This is what we wanted from you in this job. And for these reasons, it doesn't, it's not fitting. This isn't panning out the way we both thought it would. Mm. What do you think about that? And he was relieved. He's visibly relieved. Oh, yeah, I think, you know, I think you're right. I think this isn't, I wasn't quite expecting the, the level of complexity that you'd be handling. And he was on, he, he, it was a really, really good a good experience, if you can have a good experience in such a conversation. Obviously, he was disappointed. I was disappointed. But um, but it surprised me at how receptive he was to that message. And subsequently, as I say, I got this, I went back to my boss and she was like, you're the first person that's ever done that in this department. And it word got around and the fear in the culture around that kind of conversation was was really prevalent. Uh, but my my in that example, my experience of it was actually the guy was relieved as well. Yeah, and, and I think that is a textbook, isn't it? That's a textbook case of where if you're authentic, you understand what he's trying to get out of it, and he wasn't getting what he wanted, and you weren't getting what you wanted, then everybody gets everybody gets relief everybody gets trust and your relationship probably survives a whole lot better because of it um and certainly the respect is there so so great great contrast there um and how can we actually going back to leading from the middle i think leading from the middle is complex because most of us are comfortable dealing in one direction maybe two directions but dealing in four or five different directions may be hard so I'm dealing with my client, I'm dealing with my boss, I'm dealing with my team. So where is your preference and where do you need to practice to be able to continue to have authentic conversations? Because you're not going to be able to have all of them. So which are the most important? So if we look at humans, the brain does want to do the easiest thing, doesn't it? So I need to have a difficult conversation with Lee. He's in my team. I know what he wants. I can have that difficult conversation. My boss sits in Singapore. 
I have no understanding of their expectations yet. How do you have those conversations? And for me, the same principles apply. That If that's the one you're least comfortable with, that's the most important, then that's the one to visualize, that's the one to practice, that's the one to explore and don't neglect the opportunity to have those conversations before they become difficult even yeah. though you may be before you be you may be feeling uncomfortable going into it because of that fear of failure fear of survival fear of looking inferior fear of looking stupid um these are all the things that some of the scholars on these matters talk about putting the chimp in charge you know puts that white noise in your brain in charge as opposed to your you know, your rational brain. One of the principles to pick up that I'm thinking about now that we often talk about is, is getting clear about the higher intent, right? And aligning on that. So as, as you were talking about that example, my boss is overseas somewhere. I don't really have a close relationship with them. I mean, in these in this day and age, my boss could be two streets away and I, I'm, still, I'm still coming through this medium. Um, in one of the principles I think we, we've talked, we've alluded to here, but probably haven't called out really clearly is, is the importance of aligning and getting clear about each other's higher intent. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned it in what is it? I, we've had a conversation and I understand what you want from your career. I also want that. And these are the reasons why that's not happening right now. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, where where things aren't working, I think one of the key key principles is to keep peeling away the layers of the of the content of the conflict until you you can align on a higher intent for both of you. Yeah, I often liken it to sometimes people get into these conversations where you you're batting a ping pong ball across a table at each other. It's an issue. No, I think this. No, but I think that. No, but I think this. No, but it's this. When actually, if you just kind of someone caught the ball and had a look under the table, there's both people have got some kind of shared objective here. We've just got a, a difference of opinion about the pathway. But if yeah. you haven't aligned on that shared objective yet, then it feels like you're in opposition and you're not. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'll, t- I'll take, um, take that to a more complex relationship level because we see don't we every day contracts being written between organizations for the services they're going to deliver to each other and those contracts are based on a um a, a, a higher intent from the buying organization's perspective um often for both the relationship and the task if that makes sense so i am the buyer here so this is what you will provide um, well, an alternate view would be, what are we both trying to achieve together um, and how are we going to behave together? So we never have to pull out the legal contract. We can pull out the relationship contract that says, hey, yeah, we, we've agreed to partner on this. This is what you want. This is what we want. Here it is documented. And here are the behaviours that we said we were all going to demonstrate in order to achieve that. <laughs> well, we're not demonstrating those behaviours. So much easier if we've had that conversation up front, intra-organisationally. Um, exactly the same principle as you and I working together yeah. or you and I um, or, or working with a family member and it's the same same case if we don't have that then when things get difficult then we are likely to have a damaging emotional hijack that can 
cause us to say things that we later go on to regret and then we have to rebuild and that's not helpful. Um, that's another interesting angle and I, I know you've got to go in five minutes or so so uh, just we'll keep this one really brief again leading in the middle and, and anywhere there are a number of structural things that get in the, that can either get in the way or be used as, a, as an excuse <laughs> right like procurement contracts or um you know kpis or you know, I'm working. I'm working really, really hard here, and the market that I'm working in has declined. And yet, you're, st- you know, I'm putting everything in here, but you can't reward me because the market isn't doing so well. Versus Johnny over there, his market's booming, and he's got his feet on the table. Yeah, and you know, rewarded with whatever. So yeah. the system often works against us in, in these in these kinds of it's oh, man every every day we see it don't we so um uh, i love to have been rewarded for the number of times we've seen sales teams being rewarded for their sales target as opposed to um rewarded for the behavior that generates sales for others perhaps so at the moment i'm working with an organization where they've got a geographical misalignment with what they're trying to achieve so people are working in somebody else's area and generating sales in somebody else's area, which is all well and good because it's good for the team. But the person in the area for whom the, where the other person's working is not being rewarded. Um, sorry, the person who's not doing the work is being rewarded and the person who's doing the work is not being rewarded. So it's, it's absolutely because of the geographical boundary drawing. It's absolutely an example of what you say. Uh, and what does that lead to? It's not leading to open conversations in that organisation. It's leading to bitterness and resentment and dysfunctionality and flight risks and, and, and. Um, because... So let's use that. The leader in the middle of all of that, sitting in the yeah. middle of all of that, what, 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 would we, what are we going to say to that leader? Well, there's three perspectives on it, isn't it? Firstly... Uh, the self perspective how do you look after yourself because you've got to address this then how do you look after others within that scenario and and be really authentic about it because if it's a system level problem that you're not in a position to change in the short term you're gonna have to be honest about that so i am working with the um, the powers that be to try to address this anomaly in the meantime here's how we're going to handle it And then how are you going to really help yourself to create some space to think about how you can work with your boss or whoever it is in the system that's going to be able to influence that? Because if it carries on, we've created a real disease in the organisation and it has started and it is carrying on. And those conversations are starting to happen. But a lot of that proactive work has not been done with either self or others or system. Um, So... Yeah, it's 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 so easy to talk about, so hard to do. Um, so all those people who are well, I, I, the- I like your other saying better. Uh, your other saying is much better. It's it's easy to do. It's just a little bit easier not to. Yeah, well, exactly. I'm not sure who we stole that one from, but it's a life changing <laughs> question, isn't it? <laughs> but Thanks in this instance, I think it is. Really go, so, uh, we'll we'll uh, wind up so you've got time before your next call. All right, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, great to talk.